0: The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry, brought to you by the Construction Employers Association.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Tim Linville with the Construction Employers Association, and today with me is Kent Kreitzer, our Director of Safety here at the Association. How are you, Kent?
2: Good morning, Tim. I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, good. This is your first time on the podcast.
2: What do you do here at CEA? I am the safety director for the last nine, almost 10 years now. And a majority of our focus is education of the industry. Uh, we educate them and keep the industry updated on new OSHA regulations or current OSHA regulations and also new consensus standard regulations that we're going dis- like to discuss today. Okay. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about the new ANSI A92 updates to what we consider aerial working platforms that are now called mobile elevating working platforms, that uh, there are some updated to the the consensus standards that are going to have some impact to the industry.
1: When you say consensus standard, you're talking the ANSI
2: standards? I'm talking about the ANSI standards,
1: correct. So ANSI sets the best practice in the industry for safety and compliance with these pieces of equipment right correct, correct. and so uh, why is why are these changes being made now
2: so what we're accustomed to working currently is a a 92.3 a 92.5 and a 92.6 and we've worked with them forever since i've been in the industry uh, 92.3 is your manual propelled elevating aerial platforms 92.5 is your boom-supported elevating working platforms. And 92.6 is your self-propelled elevating working platforms. Those are being eliminated. ANSI is updating A92.2, and they're updating and adding A92.20 with design, A92.22 with safe use, A92.24 of training.
1: So they're requiring... Well, I say requiring, but their best practice is that you should design these pieces of equipment differently.
2: Correct. These ANSIs, these new ANSI standards will require manufacturers to have their newer pieces of equipment meeting these ANSI requirements. And the reason why they're doing that is because uh, as a country, we're playing catch up. We're trying to catch up to the rest of the world and national or international consensus standards. And uh, this is their first step in the process to do that. Okay, great.
1: All right, that's not the law, though, right?
2: That is not the law. Um, though we do follow OSHA, bare minimum requirements of OSHA. Uh, OSHA does reference an ANSI standard for aerial lifts. Uh, they reference the ANSI 1969 A92 um, requirements. And we will and we will always follow those requirements until. These newer consensus standards are incorporated by reference, which may take some time Mm -hmm. for OSHA to implement.
1: Sure. And why do people need to listen to this podcast?
2: So everybody has aerial lifts on the the job site. And there's a majority of our industry that follow the ANSI requirements over the OSHA requirements. And with these new updated revisions, there's going to be some impact, uh, a lot for some minimal for others on how they currently manage their uh, aerial lift fleet and or rental procedures when they have these uh, machines on the job site.
1: This is not law we're talking about. Why would this impact contractors?
2: This is not law, but this is risk. And there's a majority of our members here at CEA do a very good job of managing their risk. And uh, OSHA just the bare minimum. And the risk is, as you know, it's a little different world than OSHA compliance.
1: Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't they changing the equipment too?
2: They are. They are. But we will discuss some of the engineering designs mm-hmm. that are going to be required on these these newer lifts as they are uh, produced by the manufacturers.
1: Mm-hmm. And who are we going to hear from?
2: We are going to hear from Jacob Timmerman, who is a safety and health Uh, representative for Sunbelt Rentals. He's been in that position for five years, but has worked at Sunbelt for over 12. Uh, He was nice enough to come in to discuss these updates with our safety forum on July 31st. The presentation was actually pieced together by uh, Jeff Stoviak, who is the national training director for Sunbelt and who actually sits on the ANSI A92 committee to update these regulations and codes. Great. So how does the presentation go? So uh, Jacob did a nice job. He came in and he introduced uh, the new designs in a few different sections. And what we're going to hear uh, Jake talk about are changes in the design, the requirements, the newer requirements of training, um, some site risk assessment requirements as well, and also the uh, annual inspections requirements of these machines that are going to play some impact on the industry.
1: Okay. So in the show notes, we're going to post the presentation that Jacob gave, the uh, slides, and each section will have its own page numbers that go along with it. He's going to start out with design changes. Are there pages that go along with that section?
2: There are pages, but we'll, we'll go by slide number. But when we talk about the design changes, he's going to go in and talk about the updated load sensing requirements on the machine, the tilt sensing requirements, wind sensing or wind exposure uh, sensor. They're going to make some changes to the guardrail height, the gate and tow board where we enter and exit these lifts, and also the stability of the machines. So they will correspond by slide number. So when he's he's referencing load sensing, that's going to be slide 7. Tilt sensing will be slide eight. Wind exposure will be slide nine. And the guardrail height, the uh, tow board, and stability will be slide 10. Okay. Let's see what he has to say.
0: All right. So we'll get into uh, some of these design changes. Load sensing. As we said, MUPS will measure the weight in the platform. Many booms will have dual capacities. They'll stay inside that operational load envelope. will be based on the weight in the platform. Uh, so, final bullet point there, it will stop elevating if overloaded. Those of you that are out there in the field and you know the industry and your operators that are accustomed to, well I'm probably close to this weight limit, I think we're okay. This machine will listen to itself and it will uh, protect the operator from themselves as I mentioned earlier. It's not just going to sound off an alarm and educate them that it's overloaded but then allow them to continue to, to operate, it will truly stop the machine. So really an engineered control uh, when we think of the hierarchy of controls.
2: So there were a few questions on overriding these sensors. And as we know in the past from our experience, that current sensors can be easily overridden in these machines by manipulating some parts and pieces in the housing of the machine or just by reaching underneath the control panel and unplugging. Jacob does a very good job of explaining that tampering or overriding these pieces, these sensors will be uh, very difficult. To
0: my knowledge, there will not be, and that also the sensors and the way they're positioned in the machine, uh, you would uh, essentially have to like tear down like eighty percent of this machine to even access uh, where these sensors are at. So, the guys that are clever and got out their uh, craftsman tool set, uh, it would take them quite some time to to get a workaround on these uh, sensors. Which I think everybody in this room is probably going to say thumbs up. That's that's a good thing, right? We don't need the the motion alarm that's right there with the quick uh, unplug option. Uh, that oh, this machine's we know where we're going with that. All right, so you know our ultra booms have had the load sensing technology for a long time. They've had sensory pins uh, in the boom assembly itself. These new machines will actually be in the platform. So when I step in it. We could ask the room here how much you think I weigh. We'll we'll skip over that, but uh, it'll know what's in that platform. Me, the tools, the uh, accessories, so on and so forth. Uh, Mr. Steviak actually had a machine at an event that he was giving a presentation at, and it was brand new, direct from the factory, never seen uh, one job site from a rental perspective. Uh, And he had a bathroom scale there and was explaining the load sensing. He actually had, you know, the four or five people weigh on the scale. They journaled it, got up in the platform, Uh, and it should have been overloaded, and the machine still went right on up, and he's sitting there like, what is going on? So then, you know, our mechanics and diagnostic tools can plug in. It's an analyzer tool, and it was never turned on from the factory, that load sensing. So, you know, I share that with the purpose that, you know, if just because this machine showed up, we're going to do our due diligence, you know, before we green tag a piece of equipment delivered to a job site to make sure it's turned on, it's calibrated, it's correct, Uh, but it's not impossible. You know, wherever you source your equipment from, just be aware of you know different configurations, and that we can't ever make that assumption that hey this thing's turned on and our guys are going to be protected from it. Okay, uh, talking about some more design changes. Uh, as I mentioned, you know one of the main causes of tip overs is you know tilt sensing it's out of levels. Uh, Mups will measure how level the lift is, and they will shut down the lift and telescope as well as drive if uh, out of level when elevated.
1: So Kent, he talks about the term MUP. What is he talking about?
2: So this is an adjustment for everybody. A MUP is a mobile elevating working platform. An aerial lift? What uh, we used to call, or we still call, and probably will call, an aerial lift.
1: Okay, so MUP equals aerial lift. Got it. Correct.
0: So alarms and warning lights will sound, but then this machine, like I said, it will actually listen to itself uh, and not allow the operator to to go beyond. You know what? I think those bottom two points are pointing out is is that, you know, as you increase in elevation the sensitivity to what it will tolerate decreases which is all very logical simple mechanical you know physics levers and fulcrums and how that additional height uh, we need to reduce the sensitivity to uh, the the tolerances. Wind exposure. So it's probably no secret many people are aware that 28 mile an hour uh, wind uh, tolerance to going up into a a MUP and what that, uh, what that looks like. So these are some of the decals that are on what we have as a JLG 4045R. So it's a slab scissor lift with a 40-foot platform height, 45-inch 40, working width. So that's quite a bit height in relation to a relatively narrow base machine. So they have this additional feature on it that the machine will elevate to a height of 29 feet. It will stop, and then the operator must uh, activate this no wind or wind selection in order to get to the full 40-foot platform height. So you're telling the machine that, hey, I either am exposed to wind load or I'm not exposed to uh, wind load. So, you know, I asked Jeff about, you know, measuring wind speeds and what that looks like, and he said it's always done while the platform's at full height, uh, and that we all know that in a wide open area, uh, wind is the same at 10 feet or 100 feet, uh, but when you think about the environments that people operate these machines in, uh, the wind speed at, my six-foot height out here in the parking lot would be different with the trees and the buildings and different things like that. So nothing with Sunbelt. A uh, little bit of a dork. I like gadgets. I bought this device on Amazon. It was twelve dollars. It's a wind speed anemometer, uh, and did some little sampling myself. Uh, now it's not very sophisticated because it won't position itself in line with the direct wind, so I have to rotate it 360 in the set of that max uh, speed capture. Uh, but what I found over a three-day period in an 80 foot lift from about six foot of height to around 90 feet in the air is about a 12 mile an hour delta in wind speed change. Wasn't over over the 28, uh, but there was a difference in it. And I just wanted to better understand that as things are developing around wind speed limitations. Guardrail hypes heights on our MUPS, scissor list specifically, they're gonna go from a 39 and a half inch height is what they currently are, so like a 19 foot scissor uh, fully stowed is designed that it'll come right through a standard doorway uh, as it sits in the fully lowered position. Uh, they're going to increase that platform height and it will uh, prohibit it from fitting through that door. So, what you're probably familiar with, like a 26 or a 32, where they have the collapsible railings uh, to gain access to, uh, you know, inside a room such as this, uh, so even the smaller lifts uh, will require that. So, I know everybody has a tape measure and I can think about it. Uh, if anybody can appreciate an additional height and guardrail in the sense of security, it would take or uh, to give the operator, it may be someone such as myself. My center of gravity is higher uh, than some of those others. So if we think about where we're at on a 39 and a half inch height, we're here, and we're going to go to here. And I walk up to a standard railing at a, an amusement park or different things like that. I feel like I could topple over the edge. Uh, so I actually think that's a great thing, even though. Uh, it may create an extra step in getting into a different uh, facility.
2: And the mention and reference to the guardrail height, uh, the requirements on standards are changing the guardrail height currently. The guardrails are at 39.5 inches high. The new standard will require these guardrails to be at 43.5 inches high. And that's going to be a struggle for the industry because majority of the times we have these aerial lifts, uh, we have them in tight places, and it's very difficult to reach our work with the guard rows at 39.5 mm. inches high. So we're going to have to um, reconsider our, our aerial lift or moop options when we are going to perform some work or task in those tight areas. Mm. Okay, great.
0: The tow boards, um, you know, gates with tow boards are going to be required. No change or flexible uh, gates will be allowed. So what's currently you're seeing on like a Skyjack 3219 or a 1930 ES with the chain, it clips in. There's no tow board. It's flexible. Those are going to go to the wayside, and they'll be more along the lines of what, like you would see on a Genie GS 1930, Uh, they're they're already in compliance. They have the the swing door with the full tow board across the, the bottom there. Stability testing, this is something that we as a company are already on board with. We don't have pneumatic tires on any MUP uh, in our fleet. They're either going to be foam or solid tires or have air monitoring systems. Uh, Jeff's comment there says probably not real feasible, uh, but that will be, uh, be something that happens.
2: So Jacob goes in and explaining 92.24, which is training, and this is going to be a little different, a little new to the industry and what we're um, comfortable working with now. So the training requirements, they do have requirements for the qualified person, Mm. that qualified person information is going to be on slide 12. That qualified person information is going to be not much different than what we work to now. The only difference that I can recognize from his presentation is that for every machine that operator will have to be, or that authorized person, as Nancy will call them, mm-hmm. would have to be familiar with each machine that individual is working with. Currently, we test them on one machine, and they're good for all machines and working at same fashion, same form. Okay. Um, with this new requirement, they'll just have to be familiar, not retrained, but familiar with the potential different lifts or moops they may be operating
1: and best practice would be to document the fact that he's
2: familiar? Always document. Always document. Absolutely. Okay. Either it's a sign-off sheet. Maybe the rental houses will have a, a safety fact sheet on the machine that you can just check the box and, and move along that you familiarize that employee and reviewed that sheet with that employee prior to jumping on the machine. Who within the org chart of a contractor would take care of that? all depends how your business model flows and how safety fits. Um, typically, contractors with a full full-blown support of a safety department. They'll probably handle that for them, but there are some companies within our organization that have safety responsibilities to project managers, superintendents, or mm-hmm. even their foreman. Mm-hmm. And they, it could fall on either one, depending how their safety program fits their business model of their company. Okay. So what's new besides the familiarizing the operator with the different pieces of lift, uh, different pieces of equipment they may be operating Is they're adding responsibilities to the supervisor, the occupants, the people riding in the machines with the operator. Mm -hmm. And if it's a long-term rental, the technicians who may work on the lift, they all are required to have some sort of training. And when I say supervisor, everyone in the construction industry immediately goes to their superintendent, right? Which is not the case of ANSI. A supervisor could be a safety manager, could be a foreman, it could be a general foreman, or it could. How be, do you tell? It could be a mechanic. It's all depending on who that that employer deems to be that supervisor, hmm. and what fits their business model and, and culture of that company. So the occupant person in the machine, not operating, will have to have a review and f- um, familiarize familiarization of that machine, knowing the functions of the machine, and then the technician, Jake, talks about as well. The qualified person slide will be slide 12. The supervisor will be slide 15. Occupant responsibilities will be slide 16, and technician responsibilities will be slide 17 on the... Uh, podcast notes where do you keep these training files so it's it's quite difficult how transient we are at times um, if they are a reoccurring employee it's easy to keep their training in a personnel file right? employees with the company along long term if it's if it's a transient worker there for a month two weeks three months it might be easier to keep that those training requirements in a job file okay. uh, of the overall project Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right, safe use and training. Only qualified person shall operate MUPS. You need to be trained, right? That's instructor-led training. Issued a certification that you are qualified to operate that machine. Uh, I'm not the sales guy, but that is a service that Sunbelt 100% offers and that we have a dedicated person. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're at in the country. We can get you trained. Uh, but here in the greater Cleveland market over to Pittsburgh, we have a dedicated individual He actually lives close to our store in Canton. Uh, And they have a nice training facility there, a nice room about half this size that uh, they can get a good size group into and and do all your instructor, classroom, and hands-on right there at our facility. All right. Authorized. What does that mean? That means that person needs to be authorized by the company, uh, that they are a competent person, that they've determined that person's a competent person and understands what that machine is and the worksite that they're a part of. All right. Familiarized. meaning. Do you know the difference between a JLG and a Skyjack and what the operational characteristics of those machines are, be it the standard basic c- controls or uh, you know, what the emergency descent procedures are? Each machine is different. Uh, give yourself time to get familiar with the controls. A Side note, a uh, thing that's something that is passionate to Mr. Stachowiak and he's pushed and can, will continue to push is a standardized uh, operational control uh, base so that if you're on a JLG or a Skyjack, Forwards, forwards, backwards, backwards, left is left, so on and so forth, uh, for both mups and uh, rough terrain telescopic forklifts. Number of incidents have occurred where a gentleman or, or a worker is on a JLG Monday through Wednesday, Thursday they come in, they're on the skyjack, and all of a sudden their muscle memory is no longer correct. So if we standardize that, that would be an engineered solution to to mitigate that unintentional operational control. Not there yet, but it is something that he's pushing for and. Uh, the position that he's in, he's as good as, he's as well positioned as anyone to uh, help make that change happen. All right, supervisor training, proper selection of the mute for the work to be performed, uh, includes positions for the safe use, training, familiarization, uh, so on and so forth. Basically, the supervisor is going to be responsible for the employees' actions on their job sites, the company's going to be responsible for the supervisor. For, I think, a lot of time, it was always just making sure the operator's certified, they're responsible for themselves, and now that responsibility is being distributed across the organization that's affiliated with that machine uh, that's in use on it. So understanding that and what your responsibility is on it. Occupants, right? fall protection, how their actions could affect stability, uh, accessories that are assigned to use, site-specific work procedures, and just general knowledge of the intended purpose and function of the MUP controls. Obviously we're going to follow our manufacturer's warnings and instructions. Technician maintenance training, case where a MUP is being rented, arrangements must be made by the owner to identify the entity that will be responsible for the inspections and maintenance activities. You know, so I guess where my mind goes with that is, is if you have a piece of equipment out on a site for a long-term rental, that you're helping communicate with us and keep a track of it, making sure that it's maintained properly, it's being inspected on a regular basis. If the annual inspection is coming up on due, that that's communicated. Uh, and that we keep your machine safe and compliant uh, during the rental cycle.
2: So the next topic Jake will be talking about is site risk assessment. Mm-hmm. That's going to be slide 13, 14 in your podcast notes. Uh, slide, I, can't, I can't express the importance of the site risk assessment. Um, I understand how the industry has these lifts delivered sometimes. Mm-hmm. I understand we get them dropped off at t- the early in the morning yeah. or the night before, ready to go for the next day. And I I can't stress the importance of following the steps that Jake references and uh, train your employees what to look for prior to getting in these machines. Sometimes
1: the sensors might not be working properly.
2: And that's that's a great point. So that's another point to the new updates is the annual inspection. And uh, though the annual inspection probably won't be handed over at At the time they drop off the machine, which it could be, Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope employers request that information. They should have a relationship with that vendor to make sure they can have a copy of that annual inspection to see one if it's current. And two, if a machine had any reoccurring problems that the employees may need to pay attention to, the operators or occupants may need to pay attention to as they're operating the machine during the day. All right. Let's see what he has to say.
0: All right. Site risk assessment. Pretty straightforward on these. You guys have all done those before, right? Identify the hazards, evaluate the risk, develop control measures, communicate with the affected persons, making sure that we're selecting a suitable MUP and work equipment associated, uh, how to access, prep, and maintain the site. Uh, Maintenance includes inspections, annual, frequent, and only those that are trained and authorized are allowed to operate and or occupy. So even that second worker in the platform, that is a passenger, uh, would also need to be trained in understanding what's going on uh, with the machine that they're in. Recognizing the six most serious and common lift accidents. Trying to get these all up there, right? Getting on and off the lift, simple as three points of contact it is. Uh, I personally have to make sure that I move uh, slow enough to maintain a, a good quality three points of contact, so that I'm closer to four than I am to three uh, when getting on and off uh, pieces of equipment. Unlevel surface or giveaways, uh, something that hits the lift or drags it over, Uh, you know, passing construction equipment, the, uh, you know, cover over a communications box in a downtown city setting. You go from your concrete and then to a lid that's great for pedestrian traffic, maybe a bicyclist, uh, but not a 45,000 pound uh, ultra boom machine. Uh, Those types of things have happened. Being caught in between, you know, if you're, in awareness and proximity to overhead structures or drop-offs and that machine's elevated and if yourself or a passenger's in uh, the line of fire, uh, those uh, machines are plenty powerful to cause serious harm, even fatalities. Uh, Guardrails are for your fall protection. Harness and lanyards are considered fall restraint. Uh, lifts are not insulated. The big rubber tires do not prevent from electrical, uh, you know, being electrocuted. Struck by falling objects or machine, or pedestrian or spotter uh, gets run over. So those aren't up there as maybes, these things have all obviously happened. All right, additional information there on the annual inspections. Maintain on the MUP, A means as provided by the manufacturer. We are gonna use a metal stamp into the frame and the chassis of the machine. Uh, written records of inspections performed include the date, any deficiencies found, corrective actions accomplished, identification of the persons performing the inspections and the repairs.
1: So, Kent, that was a lot to take in. What's the biggest take home you got from this presentation?
2: It's a lot of information for sure. Uh, One, let's start calling them moops, not aerial lifts. right? Uh, Two, we have to understand these design changes are going to impact the way we are used to working in these machines and how we bid work and how we expect these machines to do everything we want for them. Uh, there's going to be load sensors, tilt sensors, wind sensors, guardrail heights. That all will collectively impact us how we're going to do work from this point forward.
1: It's supposed to keep you safe, but it's going to feel restrictive.
2: It absolutely will. Okay. It absolutely will. Uh, they will not work the way we're accustomed to working in them, and I mean, that brings up my third and final takeaway: is if you are following ANSI to mitigate your risk and control your risk. You're going to have to update your training requirements for your employees, your supervisors. Your, your, you have to find a process or procedure to make sure your occupants are also trained as long as your key operators or qualified person who operate the machine. Secondly, if, if you're not following ANSI, and you're just following OSHA, just I can't stress the importance enough to make sure your employees are familiar enough with these changes so they know what to expect when they get them and receive mm-hmm. these machines. Mm-hmm. These machines are not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, belt themselves reference that that's going to take an 8 to 10-year cycle to cycle out current machines that will be grandfathered in to ANSI to the newer machines as they come out.
1: So if the machine you get is one of these new machines with the restrictions on it or the different rail heights, you can just put a piece of plywood on top of that rail and... Staying on top of that right
2: you can do whatever you want but unfortunately (laughs) OSHA does not allow us to yeah and and i can't stress enough um from my experience just my nine years in cleveland i've investigated unfortunately three fatalities that dealt with moops or aerial working platforms Mm -hmm. and um you hate to say it but sometimes it's the wrong tool for the job and that's the only tool we have and we're going to try to make it work and mm-hmm. those types of decisions can cost people their lives, so in the front end of the project, we have to make sure not just our supervisors or the or the authorized operators, not the men and women who are getting their boots on the ground dirty every day understand these changes, but it's also it's important for the for the estimators Mm -hmm. and the project project managers. Whoever's
1: determining what piece of equipment to bring out.
2: Exactly. At that Mm -hmm. time of bid, who's determining what's going to work or what's your current working procedures to what you might have to adapt Mm -hmm. with the newer machines, what your new procedures are. Uh, It's just not not the guys and gals out there getting their boots dirty every day. Putting
1: themselves at risk. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Ken. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you on again regularly to update the Listeners regarding new safety requirements and programs. One thing we have uh, on a near future episode to talk about with you, Kent, is our silica safety program.
2: Yeah, so the silica program we have here at CEA uh, started three or four years ago, created by our members here of the association, it is assisting contractors currently around the country. Being compliant with the new silica, don't want to say new anymore. It's been around for a while, but it's going to be new to us, Mm -hmm. right? Regardless, uh, any standard, it's new is the newest. Going to help them, hopefully, be the easy button to help be compliant with the standard and protect their men and women out there working around that contaminant. All right, look forward to that. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you.